This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning Extra, our podcast featuring a memorable story from our most recent show. It's a conversation that offers insight beyond the broadcast. On this episode, and just in time for Halloween, the science of scary music. For movie composers, just a few notes can go a long way to create that creepy sound. But how and why? For answers, David Pogue spoke to Michelle DiBucci, a composer and music theory professor at New York's Juilliard School. Michelle, tell me some of the tricks of the trade that you guys use to unsettle us? Consonance and dissonance. Consonants are, are different notes when they sound together. We find them very soothing. Happy, major Happy. chords. Yeah. And then there's other notes when played together make us very unsettled. Could you not? Right? Um, so composers know you're going to be unsettled if we play certain intervals, and the interval that composers love to use is the tritone, often called the devil's horn, and I think because you can fit it right in between those two fingers. Yeah, that's not a pretty sound. And it's tense, right? It yeah. wants to go somewhere. It wants to go there. Ah, yeah. oh, that's consonant. Or, see, it's tense, it's tense, it wants to go... <laughs> there, that feels good. But when I'm sitting there, 
that tritone has me very unsettled. And for that reason, it has not been it was not allowed to be used in church music. They, they wouldn't let you use? No, they wouldn't. It was stirring up too many feelings in your body. Wow. So keep that interval out of the church. And it was called uh, Diabolus in Musica, the devil in music. So that further, um, that's probably where the devil horn name came for it. And um, composers avoided that interval, oh, in Western culture, probably until the 17th century. So how, do, how does that affect horror movies, though? I mean, do they use that? Well, they use that interval because they know you're unsettled when you hear it. Yeah. So if I'm going to play that interval, you want resolution. Are there any famous ones that use that? Um, does The Exorcist use that? No, The ed Exorcist is more connected to chant. Oh, OK. You mentioned that the, the constant chords, the major chords, are happy, so we're not going to hear probably a lot of that in, in tense scenes. Um, are you saying that the the minor chord? Yeah, I play piano. Uh, that, the, that the minor chord is not so happy. The minor chord tends to. It's a tighter chord. It does make us feel maybe more melancholy. It brings up. It's a different color for us, a different shade. And so minor chords are used a lot, but nothing is quite as effective as dissonance. And when those notes get really close together, uh, they bother us. And we want to, we either want them to stop or we want them to resolve. <laughs> right. ah, I feel better now. So composers use dissonance yeah. and resolution to uh, manipulate you. And with, with major and minor, I've, I've seen things on YouTube where people deliberately change from major to minor on famous songs just to prove the effects. You know, if you have twinkle, twinkle, little star in minor, you <laughs> I mean, it's, it's inherently scarier and sadder. It is, it's certainly sadder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So minor is, is the sadder um, key and, uh, or mode, and I think that um, uh, it's in about context. So it can certainly become scary. Minor right. can become scary. But dissonance. Dissonance is it? Or, or sometimes nothingness. Like, like, where's that note going? What's it going to do? Why is it there? It's literally suspense. Suspense. We're suspended. Like. Right. So sometimes very little does a lot. Wow. And knowing how to use all of these effects. And I but noticed that you did that low. Low also, the register has something to do with how we react. Whereas in, in Psycho, it's the high that scares us. So that dissonance, and it's in the stratosphere register of the violins, yeah. really high. And that's why it has such a big effect on you're us. Creeping me also, out. what we're watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. So, but you're playing that on the, on the piano. Does it make a difference what instrument is playing it? Absolutely. So that I mean that that may sound unsettling to us, but um, but the, the 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 color, the timbre of the violin is so different. Um, just the the bow on strings that uh, I I think it's. Uh, Yes, the choice of instrument is very important. Wow. And 
Sometimes the piano is effective in horror scores, but at that moment, it has to be the string orchestra. Now, you mentioned this, this drone, this long, low, suspended thing. Um, long, low strings is also, isn't that the key to Jaws? That Absolutely, but it's the low is not only makes that that ominous, but it's from the depths of the ocean that the monster is coming. So that low sound reinforces that something's below and coming up. It's so genius. There's so little to it. There's so little to there's it. There's not even there's not even really a chord to it. It's just single it's notes. Little tiny motive. Yes. Wow. Um, and speaking of uh, motives or musical themes, tell me about the. The Dies Irae. Oh, the Dies Irae from the funeral mass. We find most of our music from the masses and from Gregorian chant. And um, the mass for the dead or the funeral mass would have a section um, that used a sequence called uh, the Dies Irae. Uh, Dies Irae, Dies Ila, a day of wrath, day of impending doom. And this was the, the judgment day. This was when it was decided if you were going to heaven or hell. And so th that was a, just a scary concept back in the Middle Ages. And um, this theme, this theme descends. It brings about minor it for us. So there's something solemn about it. Yeah. Um, it's a cascading musical idea falls down and uh, because it's associated with death, with doom, with judgment, it started to be used by composers outside of its reference to the mass. Huh. So it was this composer Berlioz, Hector Berlioz, who pulled this melody out of the, the Requiem Mass and he put it in a piece um, where that theme represented a witch's dance. And as soon as uh, he did that, the die was cast, and, and we have uh, used the DSE Ray theme countless times in classical music, in film music, and in pop music to mean something's not good. <laughs> um, so, so are there some... Some movies that have, have used that? Um, yes. The, the first, I think, a little bit in Citizen Kane, a little in uh, Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, the famous opening of The Shining uh, is all about um, the DSE Ray. And even if you think of the opening of um, The Exorcist, It's sort of inside. Oh, yeah. It, wow, and they're all stealing something that's a thousand years old. Yeah, they're, they're, they're borrowing it, right? <laughs> they're paying Bar homage. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Have you ever used that? Um, I've used the text in my film score the cre for Creepshow. You did? I did. Oh, my gosh. Somebody's singing it or chanting, chanting it? Chanting it. Really? Yes. Wow. So we all, we, all composers have pulled from, I, I would think in a long career, at one point you've pulled from the DSE Ray. <laughs> now, is that because we as an audience somehow know that association with the dead and the witches and all that? Or 
Or is it just you film composers winking to each other and saying, see what I did there? I, I don't think that people know that it's from the Mass of the Dead. Uh, I don't know if they think it's something old from the Middle Ages. I think that it becomes through association. There are, I mean, there are countless horror movies that have this theme in it. And I believe um, over the over a lifetime of movie watching, you are you the brain is going to know when those collections of notes come in. It does not mean something happy is about to happen. <laughs> that is wild. So we've been sort of cultured to know that that's that's scary, and also it's a Latin chant. I mean. For some reason, I associate rites and satanic rituals and movies with Latin. You know, it, we, yeah. we don't understand what they're saying. It's... I'm sure the church isn't happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, Rosemary's Baby, they're chanting in Latin and so many, yeah, so many climactic scenes where there's this ceremony and they're all, I mean, uh, eyes wide shut, they're all you know, wearing costumes or masks and chanting in Latin. Well, the, the mystery of language, the, the mystery and power of music accompanying that, uh, that's, that's, um, that's very powerful stuff. And the idea of a club of people doing it, a boys club <laughs> doing it, that, it starts to get scarier and scarier if you're thinking Eyes Wide Shut or yeah. Other, yeah. other movies like that. So. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it, it has a haunting quality to it. We think of that sound um, as enhanced all the time, too, because we've heard it in churches, which has a natural reverberation. So if I go, it's not as scary as if I do that in a church, oh. where there's all this reverberation in the space. Oh, yeah. And so my voice is fuller and more resonant, and, and, um, and so that effect makes it more haunting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're doing all of our examples on the keys here, but sometimes you hear sounds that are, are not like musical instrument sounds. You know, there's, there's this thing where you... I mean, that's scary. That sure is, <laughs> and that's used all the time. Oh my gosh! Scary. Keep your foot down. You just wrote a horror score. Um... Oh yes. Why there, is that upsetting been, me? Because it's so dissonant and the color is, is, is unique for you. It sounds wrong. It sounds like this is something that's going to hurt you. Oh, but no, it's fabulous. Come on. <laughs> we, could, we could have lots of fun creating a score right inside the piano. <gasps> we've been playing piano wrong all this time. Uh, we've just been, uh, we haven't been playing it fully. <laughs> oh, wouldn't you do, you just like pluck one of these? It's best if you have a if you have a necklace or some kind of chain. Even if I put my here, want to use my Fitbit? Let's see what it does. It's got some so if you a hard put middle. This on it. <laughs> so the DSA E Ray. Oh, it's so becomes scary. even scarier. You see how much fun this is. <laughs> so this is what you'll do. You've got the video playing. You're like, what could I put in here? Sure. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little of that. What works? It's like a, a being a chef. You know? Yeah. Let's, what, do we, what do we add in? What do we take out? Not too much spice. 
Wow. Oh my gosh, that is, imagine if the lights were low. And even if it were a camera on an empty room and you did this. One, one of my faves, actually, which I use, is you put your hand on the strings. Yeah. It almost sounds like Law and Order, right? Yeah. Wow. All kinds of wonderful percussive effects. And what's happening there? You're stopping it I'm, from I'm, Yeah, I'm dampening the string, but I have the sustain on, so when the hammer strikes it, it makes that wonderful sound. Does it work on the middle it's of not the as high effective. notes? It's not as effective here. You need all those overtones. Wait, keep your. I mean, oh, that yeah. Sounds like oh, yeah. Or we, we put the microphone inside there. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can create lots of that, cool bone like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Have you done that, the scores? Oh, yeah. So I use the inside of the piano a lot. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, piano tuners and sometimes pianists don't like going inside. And it can bring the, it can make the piano go out of tune. Well, it's not where it's not like we're. I mean, John Cage put um, uh, bowls uh, inside the piano. <laughs> bowls? Oh yeah. Hey, I mean, prepared piano. He he prepared the piano all kinds of ways. So, oh wow. So if I take a piece of paper and I put it in there, and then it's not it's not as effective as I wanted it to be, but. Anything that you put in the, on the piano is going to start changing it. The best is a long chain. Oh, long wow. chain, you start to get um, a, um, a um, harpsichord type sound. La, 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 la. That's Rosemary's Baby, yes. right? And one thing that's wrong with it is it's a lullaby in a minor key. So already you're messing with it. And also you're doing some, I mean, you're, some, you're doing some dissonant stuff. Um, in in it, the second phrase. Yeah, right there, there's, there's a. A human voice singing the melody. Yeah. Like just la 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 la. So the melody, this this whispery quality yeah. in her voice. Yeah. It's Mia Farrow, right? And she's she's right up against the mic, really. Ah. Like this breathy, right. tremulous thing is creepy. So creepy lullaby. I mean, no one's gonna be singing that to their baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not unless they want a big therapy bill in right. 20 years. <laughs> so uh, the human voice on that, the simplicity of it, the breathiness, the intimacy of, of it. We've got this big film that's unfolding, but you've got this very intimate soundtrack, and that's really haunting. But see, 
that's really genius for someone to, for the composer to think that way. Like, if I were a newbie writing a, a horror score, I would think, you know, loud and crashy and dissonant and bass and low. I wouldn't think soft and sweet and pretty and breathy. Well, you need, you need contrast. If everything is loud and big and bold, then loud and big and bold isn't loud and big and bold. <laughs> so so uh, I think that, that the composer knew that it was going to get pretty dark with chanting and more dissonant aspects later on, and this was a moment for this intimacy. Oh. And uh, we're, we're invited into this film right from the start with this, this creepy lullaby. I mean, it, it, we didn't know, we, 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 I think we perceive it creepy from the beginning because of the quality of her voice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't think of a lullaby that's in a minor key with the clashing notes like that. I mean, I, I, I think there are lullabies in minor keys. It's just we associate this with Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Awesome. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.